We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. I did like the scene that fought or that the next scene is one of one of my other, you know, scenes that I really liked in this film was whenever uh, Father Brennan uh, actually met up with uh, uh, Mr. Thorne and, and, you know, they actually have the scene about where he's like, uh, he directs him to uh, go to Megiddo and, you know, uh, meet up with Bugenhagen, you know, which is a hilarious name to me for some reason, but, um, <laughs> but I like the scene that follows that. I mean, their their mating was cool, but I like the scene that follows that because they had this big like storm just blow up out of nowhere in the film, and it gets dark and like the wind blowing, and then uh, you know Patrick Trotton is he's like trying to make his way into the church before whatever you know there's lightning striking all around him, and um, it, it you know it, it's. I don't know that I like the ending as much whenever the actual piece off the steeple comes down and, you know, falls through him. It, there's a little, there's a little quick cut that they do there. We kind of just slumps over that. I, it's a little goofy when you rewatch it, but I like everything leading up to that. I think it's a good mood piece, you know, in the film. And I, you know, I appreciate them like how, you know, them, the way they set that up. I mean, for the time era, it honestly was a pretty cool death, you know? The, the lorist in me, the lore whore in me was like, mm, that's hollowed ground. The devil can't touch that, you know. But yeah. at the same time, it literally, it just worked out. In my opinion, it worked out pretty good. I thought the goofy slump was actually, I didn't think it was bad. I mean, yes, it looks goofy. I will agree with you on that. But I thought it looked real. It wasn't one of those, you know, oh, I'm dying. Well, You know, he yeah. literally just. There's a fine balance there. Yeah, I agree with you. They could have, you know, like him, they could have drug it out and it would have turned comical in its own right if they'd done that. The slump itself, I don't know, it's a little too quick. You know, I don't know. It, it It's fine for what it is. It, they cut off of it quick enough to where it doesn't linger. It's just, you know, I've, I went yeah. back and rewatched this thing a couple of times, just kind of, you know, get the timeline right and all that. And when that scene pops up, I'm just like, you know, if you see it too many times <laughs> in a row, that's whenever it really starts like, that's you know, true. playing on you. Um, to me, it was behind. like a critical hit. I mean, like it immediately <laughs> got him. The one thing I did not like, I will tell you, I did not appreciate the Austin Powers. No. <laughs> he's like saying, screaming no forever, but not moving. And he knows this thing's flying at him from like, oh, I don't know. Third, no, not, not even 30 feet. Maybe 45 to 60 feet above him. And he's just standing there like, no, it just like lets it hit him like that character in Austin Powers let the steamroller just go over him. Oh yeah, you 
Yeah, that, that is more like Austin Powers. I was thinking in my head, it's kind of like, you know, episode three, Darth Vader, you know, just screaming because, you know, Padme's passed away. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, but yeah, <laughs> but it's more of a better fit whenever you're talking about like the fact this character's getting ready to die and they just won't move. And even in that movie, Austin Powers is like, get out of the way. And he just keeps screaming. Yeah. No. Uh, the little bit of behind the scenes on this that's kind of interesting is that they that was a piece of balsa wood that they filmed, you know, falling down, and they had it on a rail, but they had it so close to the actor that, like, well, first of all, the producer, uh, Harvey Bernard, like, he, he did it first and just to see that it would work, and then before they put, you know, Patrick in place, and it was so close to where they were standing on their mark that both of them, like, left uh, the shoot, like, super anxious because it came that close to really in real life hitting them i mean it was that tight of a fit that they you know that they felt like they were gonna get hit by it uh you know and and, and that's i don't know that, that would take a lot of uh, <laughs> uh trust in your you know workers or whatever that whenever you got something coming directly at you and it's that tight of a you know angle anyways yeah because you got to remember folks they didn't have cg <laughs> back then and if i mean maybe uh some bullshit cg but nothing that could imitate what they filmed no, and they, I mean, they had to get it, you know, uh, as as close to, the, I mean, to where it looked legit as possible. And I just, I heard that and I just, I was trying to think of standing there, I mean, as an actor, of course, doing the no scream, but then have this thing like literally just, you know, slam right beside of you. I mean, like so close that it, you know, it gave the producer kind of a, you know, a little anxiety attack when he tried it out himself. <laughs> I don't fucking blame him. Um, I don't blame him either. Um, the scene after that that I really like is again, it's it, this what makes the movie for me is when Jennings and you know Gregory, uh, you know Gregory Peck's character uh, Thorn uh, actually meet up for the first time legit, and that's whenever Jennings is going over the lore with him. There, you know, there he's showing him the photographs of where you know Father Brennan died and the mark that you know showed was kind of you know was a foreshadowing of how he was going to die, and then of course the original nanny with the noose around her neck and the and the foreshadowing of that. And in that, that whole scene where they go into the apartment of Father uh, Brennan's and it's like just plastered like, you know, floor to ceiling with these, you know, pages from the Bible. I, I, I like that whole scene. I like the, you know, interaction between the two actors. I like the lore they establish in those scenes. They're setting up a lot of, you know, information from Revelation and that sort of thing. And I, and, and that... A little bit behind the scenes on that, David Seltzer said that they would have never got that kind of detail in that apartment as far as like the, the design uh, from like an American studio. He said that it was just one of those things where he wrote it into the script and the, you know, the British, since they were filming in Britain, and they just looked at it and said, okay, if that's what you want. And they painstakingly went through there and <laughs> put those Bible pages one by Holy one on shit. the walls. <laughs> So I, I just I, I thought it was a neat you know part of the film. It, it gives the you know the film the the you know for us lore whores the the part you know it's it's kind of you know feeds that you know into the movie. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, everything in that room just gave off really not creepy vibes, but that that priest was trying to protect himself, which is exactly what they were trying to do. And then the fact that. Pretty much everything was left untouched because the police just thought that in the movie, the police thought that he was, you know, crazy. So they just kind of left everything and they allowed this random photographer to go in there and he found <laughs> all this evidence. But the evidence he had was like, it was really cool because it didn't seem super fake. You get these films where 
it's like, oh, right there. There's exactly what we're looking for. And this was, no, I had to do some digging. And when I looked under here, I found this. But this isn't the most damning thing I found. Look what else I found. Look at this news article. He, I mean, they set it up really well. Well, and you mentioned that the police didn't find it, but I mean, the stuff that he finds only means any is only relevance to uh, him and you know and Gregory Peck's character because it's you know the like the the clipping of the you know the uh, astrological event that occurred five years you know before that with the Star of Bethlehem reappearing over Rome the same day that Damien was born, uh, yeah. you know June sixth at six a.m. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Uh, which why do they gotta hate on June babies? I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> player haters. Uh, same thing with Rosemary's baby. That's whenever you know little uh, the, the little baby was supposed to be born. So because uh, it is hot as hell, Reverend, in June. Okay. Well, you know they they gave it in Rosemary's baby. Baby, they said that it was like the opposite time of the year whenever you know Christ was born. So which is if you know anything about you know the real history of it, that's that's false. Christ was probably born in like September or, or you know something like that. But that's a whole. Well, other it was argument. definitely warmer times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, but I mean that's the that's the logic they use in these films. So I guess it is what it is. It just sucks for us June babies to have to be you know <laughs> cast in the same you know kind of situation. Um, I, they made a mention that there's like 47 crosses on the wall or on the door leading into his, an apart, his apartment complex. And, uh, of course, it's within direct eyesight of the church. I don't know if it's the church that he got killed at. I kind of got that feeling that it was, but it, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I did that. too. He said he had to be he had to be in view of his church is what he said. Yeah. And I assumed it was the church. Um, the one thing I didn't understand which will never really, I don't think there's any explanation, nor does there really need to be. But I didn't understand why he couldn't get into the church. Churches are usually always open, and this was like middle of the day. Yeah, there's no explanation for that. And there's also, uh, you know, going back to what I was saying about the agency filled with a cabal of people, they they had the reveal that Father Brennan had the mark of the beast on, and it was not just, uh, you know, it was not just a tattoo or some kind of thing he put there. It was actually a birthmark. So it was like mm-hmm. Father Brennan himself was destined from birth to be the one that helped deliver the Antichrist into the, you know, the the politician's arms or something to that effect. You know, it was like a predestination type thing. Yeah. And the the last little bit that I liked on that is that it gives a reason why Jennings would be suddenly so interested in all this is because, and they have this great little scene where he said, you know, he's like, you know, and, and just don't think that I'm crazy. He said, I've got a vested interest in this myself. He's like, whenever I was taking pictures of this originally, you know, whenever the, you know, the police first were, you know, in here, he said, I caught a glimpse of my own reflection in the mirror and he shows and it, it shows like his own death. Like it, you know, yeah. so he's, he's trying his motivation. They established pretty well. It's not just, he randomly sees these things and like, Oh, I'm going to be the big hero. It's like, no, he's operating from a more realistic, like I'm going to save my own ass because I'm, this is happening to me next, you know, sort of situation. I really like that as far as like the, you know, them giving, you know, a grounded reason why. Because in a lot of these movies, they just have the characters like, well, it's the right thing to do. It's like, no. Exactly. I mean. No, he had, <laughs> yes, I agree with you 100%. He had definite interest. Um, it added, honestly, it was a little tiny. It, he didn't spend a lot of time explaining why he had interest. The picture was worth more than a thousand words. And, it kind of just really added to a storyline that kind of needed it at that point. Like, what is the purpose of this man? It gave his character complete purpose in just like two minutes. 
it was like a perfect little addition to, you know, just fit him in there. And it's like, okay, that's fully believable. Next, keep these guys together. That's all I need, you know? Yeah. They, um, the scene that they have now, there's several scenes that I like between them as they're like traveling, like, uh, along the way they, they go back to the, the hospital where it all happened. And along the way, you know, Jennings is like reading off this, uh, stuff that he found out in the Bible, which is actually the screenwriter putting himself into the film because he's explaining the whole thing about the, you know, the, the antichrist will rise from the seas. You know, uh, he, the, the David Seltzer found when he was doing research for the film that, you know, some theologians uh, uh, interpreted that to mean that the seas were like, uh, you know, like tumultuous, and that meant that like constant change, and the perfect thing that fit that was politics, because it's always, there's always some kind of, you know, uh, problems, you know, conflicts going on, there's always change going on in politics, so they, they got it in their head that the Antichrist was rise in politics, and, you know, that's why, and there's that, literally, you know, David Warner's character is, you know, Jennings is putting that out there in the film as if he's, you know, it's like, you know, as the as Seltzer himself was like, oh, I found this cool thing, I'm gonna, you know, so this character's gonna read it off in the film, but it's, it's a cool little, you know, thing to add into the lore that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have thought of. And then, of course, they add the stuff in about Wormwood and the star and all that as they're going along, and I like all that. Um, and just like I said, I like the scenes where they're together, but one of my favorite scenes is whenever they go to the cemetery. Um, yes. Because, it's it, first of all, it's got that dark setting. Uh, they, they really did a good job of setting up like this old, decrepit cemetery out in the middle of nowhere with this like, ruined monastery or church or whatever. It's like, you know, there's nothing else there but the old graves that have just fell, you know, in, de- in decrepitude or whatever. And then they, they set up the, as they're even going into the scene, they set up what eventually happens to Gregory Peck because they kind of focus in on those sharp spikes that are on the, you know, the gate as they're going in there and they're like, Oh shit, what's going to happen with those. And then they, they add, and that I like that scene because it's got like this feel of like an old classic hammer horror film. Like whenever the Van Helsing and the protagonists go to fight or find the vampire. And they're like, you know, that's usually the scenes, how they set them up and they're having to open up the crypts or whatever to get to them. It had that kind of vibe to it. I don't know if that, you know, was something that Seltzer or, you know, Donner directly was inspired by, but it, that's what it felt like to me. And I like Definitely that whole... Definitely a creepy goth vibe. Yeah, and, and a lot of those older Hammer Horror films had that going on for them. Um, and even some of the films, like, from Italian directors like Mario Bava, uh, uh, in particular, he uh, Black Sabbath, I believe, is the name of the film. It's got a lot of that stuff going on for it. But I like that, and I like the... the they fully commit to that whole thing about Damien being born of a jackal because, I mean, whether you believe it or not, like whenever he goes to open up the, you know, the crypt or whatever that supposedly holds Damien's dead mother, it's it's like canine bones that are inside of it. I like that little thing. Yeah, it's in. like a dog humanoid type. Yeah, and it's, and it's, you know, there's that. And then whenever he goes to, and it's such a quick scene and, and Gregory Peck does just a fantastic job of, you know, just showing on his face, the emotion. But when he opens up that next one and it's his baby, his real baby. And there's that hole that's been like smashed into the side of the infant's head. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, and then you got the whole scene right after that. Not, I mean, you have all that good stuff, but then you have the attack by the, you know, hellhounds, basically all the Rottweilers attack. And, um, of course we always talk, we already talked about how they were just kind of dry humping in their set, you know, each other, like, <laughs> you know, to but, give it a little lightness to it, <laughs> but it, they really, now to go back the darker side of it, they really, now the stuntmen they had for, you know, uh, 
David Warner and Gregory Peck, they actually had on the stuntmen leather and steel armor on these guys to protect them when the dogs actually did attack. And even with that on there, and I don't know if you want to label this as part of the curse because we'll get into that. You know, that's a whole debate on this. But one of the dogs that was attacking uh, David Warner's stuntman actually bit through both leather and steel somehow. Oh, shit. Into the guy's leg, and the guy ended up having to have 14 stitches as a result of it. So, oh, I mean. Oh, my God. And I can't imagine that. Okay. If his teeth punctured the steel, and the steel then in turn punctured and cut his leg. Fucking ow. Yeah, that it would have been a bad day for that stunt person. So I mean that it's That's why you get paid the big bucks, sir. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and then of course they go back and they pay off the the zooming in on the spikes because whenever, you know, Gregory Peck's character uh, Thorne is trying to get out of there, of course he, you know, impels his arm on, on one of those things. So I just overall, I feel like it had the, it's one of those scenes in the movie that was the creepiest. It had those, those old school vibes to it, but it also had more menace than some of the rest of the movie I felt did. It's, it beats the hell out of that scene where Lee Remick's falling and she does that little half Peter Pan twist yeah. and falls on the floor. I mean, it's, you know, way better than that. We'll call that the side sleeper. <laughs> the side I like that. Uh I, we've already, I've already discussed it, but I, uh, you know, to contrast the, her fall from the hospital versus that one from earlier, it's night and day. That one from the hospital actually sells how dangerous, you know, Mrs. Baylock is. You know, whenever you see oh, Lee yeah. Remick just falling from, you know, so high up, and of course she does the thing again where it's her mesmerizing eyes. So you don't know if she pushed Lee Remick out of the window or if she convinced Lee Remick to do it herself. You know, uh, it's kind of left ambiguous in the film as to as to that i mean if you think about it now that you bring that up i mean lee she had some psycho issues after dealing with thinking that her quotation mark son is the devil she begged her husband not to allow him to kill her which technically he didn't but um then she's in the hospital kind of just lingering in these thoughts all day she lost a baby, which a baby she kind of didn't want to have after technically having a hellion of a child already. Which they don't. So they she established. Was up. They they established though through the the psychologist or doctor or whatever that she'd been seeing that she didn't trust that Damien was her son and she thought he was uh, also like evil or something. So there was that she had that. Yeah, she in thought her he mind. was otherworldly. So, I mean, thinking like that and in those times, definitely that's something that you would be considered crazy for, she had to have been starting to slip down that slippery slope. Yeah, she had all that going on. She was pretty much by herself. I mean, you know, it's, you really, I mean, if you focus on that, I mean, it's really a terrible end for the character because, I mean, she hasn't seen her husband in a while. He's been off with David Warner, you know, trying to investigate and track down the, the priest and, you know, that, that originally gave him the baby to kind of confirm, you know, some of the stuff that Father Brennan told him and, and she just kind of been cooped. And I mean, there wasn't, you know, you didn't have any of the devices or anything to pacify yourself, even if, I mean, not that really helps that much when you're in hospital because hospital time is hell time, basically, if you've ever been in one. Yeah. It's just slow and it doesn't seem to ever go anywhere. But I mean, you know, you think about back in those days, I mean, probably had like three or four channels on the TV and just kind of <laughs> oh sitting there by herself. And I, I don't care if she was like a, you know, a politician's wife, she still would, I mean, it wouldn't have been that great to have been in her situation. Yeah. No streaming the chilling adventures of Sabrina for her. 
<laughs> no getting to see uh, the, how the last season uh, did or did not live up to her expectations. <laughs> oh my God, that she probably would have jumped out the window. She, that's probably what caused it, honestly. When uh, Baylock was uh, sending those uh, creepy vibes, she was just shooting in the last season of, of Chaos into her mind, and she was like, shit, I'm done with this world. See ya. Yeah. Laylock <laughs> shows up, and like she's already out the window, and she's like, okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, there, uh, there's there's those scenes... The, the decapitation scene is the, the other big standout in this movie. And we can't get by without mm-hmm. saying it because it both ties into the curse and, you know, it's one of the bigger special effects in the movie. Um, it's kind of weird because, like, Gregory Peck really sells it whenever he, he, you know, hears that his wife has died and you really feel the pain in him. And he swears up and down. He's like, you know, he's like, I want Damien dead too. You know, like he's just done with it after, you know, his wife's been killed. Yeah. He's, you know, lost his second child. But he meets with Bugenhagen, and of course Bugenhagen gives him all these, which is, that, that name makes me laugh, so I'm sorry. But anyways, he meets with him, <laughs> and he's supposed to be this exorcist, you know, kind of tying into some of that stuff. And, you know, he basically tells him, he's like, you got to kill the child on hollow ground, and he gives all the lore on how to defeat Damien. hollowed ground. I told you. <laughs> exactly. They were not where... oblivious to it, which makes this movie even more, ang- makes me angry. <laughs> well, and they mentioned Can't even it, they... word right now. They, you even brought it up whenever you specifically, when he tries to go to the church, he freaks out. He can't enter the church or it causes him some kind of pain or something. So it's it's that whole thing. I mean, maybe it had to do, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to recant a little bit. Maybe it had to do with him being marked because he had, you know, the 666 on him. I, I mean, they... They had that as did they have that as the mark of the beast or mark of death? I'm not I'm not sure. They had his mark of the beast, but it, he had served his purpose, so he therefore he he'd already sold his soul basically, or, or was born with that one, or well, whatever yeah. you want to argue. I mean, maybe that's why he couldn't manipulate a blessed object. Maybe that's why he couldn't open the doors. Maybe so. I mean, but he held the he held the crosses though. I mean, he you know, and he had been in the church prior. I don't know. Maybe the only thing I could think of is that it's just that you know that was locked out to him. Not. I mean, if he'd been an actual man of the cloth in the sense that he'd been you know pure and all that, maybe he would have been able to overcome that. But because he was already marked and everything else, it was you know if if Satan yeah. wanted to you know snap his fingers and you know the door stayed locked, it stayed locked at least to him. Hmm. Yeah. I mean. Again, that's like meta narrative. That's us adding exactly. And, that's us know. getting real deep into this. But when it comes to the decapitation scene, we get through all those scenes with Bugenhagen, and then like you know, and Gregory Peck's character has this crisis of faith. He's like, I don't want to kill a child. Why is he asking me to kill a child? And he throws the knives that's been given to him. There are these ancient knives that, uh, you know, they're supposedly the only thing that can kill Damien. And he throws them, and then of course David Warner's like, "What the hell are you doing? Have you lost all your? You you were still out to kill the Antichrist. Have you forgot this?" And so you know he goes over there, and of course that that lives out his final you know little bit that was foreshadowed earlier in his picture, because you got this truck that's you know that goes out of brake, comes down through there, it's got the big slabs of glass on it, and then one of them comes, the sheets of the uh, glass comes off, and it you know cuts right through his head with this scene where the head's like flipping, doing this backspin or whatever as it's like coming <laughs> off the body. It's a it's a pretty effect I mean, a pretty good effect for the time. I mean, you know, you can definitely tell, but I mean it, it works. Uh, kind of funny. They had to go through like several variations to get it to work because originally they were gonna have the the sheet of glass fall on him like it you know, like the steeple did on um Father Brennan. 
but they never could get the glass to work right because it, when, even if they had everything in the world to, you know, like to, to guide it down, the, the glass itself wanted to bend and flex so it wouldn't get in the angle they needed to do it. So they're like, we can't do it vertically, so we have to do it horizontally. So that's why they added the, the truck making it you know, part of it because that's the only way they could get the effect to work. The other thing about it is, too, that prosthetic was apparently so realistic that, uh, you know, uh, David Warner did not want to have anything to do with it. If they brought it around him, he would leave leave the room. It was like he said it was just too real. He couldn't stand to to be around it. Oh, so he wasn't like... (laughs) No, he he didn't do that. He didn't have it sitting in the uh, chair beside of him, you know, while he was getting his makeup put on or anything like that. He didn't want to have anything to do with it at all. Chicken shit. (laughs) (laughs) um and let's see the next scene that stands out for me in a bad way is and this is why we're going back to billy whitelaw and her casting the when uh thorn comes back and he's and he's trying and he does the clip he he wants to prove that day before he stabs dame or tries to kill damien that he's that, that all this is real so he gets the clippers out and he finds a 666 uh on the scalp which is where bugenhagen said it'd probably be at uh, that's whenever Billy Whitelaw's character, Miss Baylock, just jumps on his back. I couldn't get into any of those scenes. She was just so like overacting in those scenes. And I mean, Gregory Peck's selling his stuff. It's not, you know, the scene, the scene is kind of goofy in a sense. Cause you got this woman trying to overpower this big guy, like, you know, that he is, but like her overacting to me versus like, you know, him naturally, you know, frustrate, you know, his frustration that he's got in his face and him trying to fight her off. They're so at odds with each other. I could not get into those scenes whatsoever. What, how'd you feel about them? Uh, okay, if we're being honest, like watching it, it felt like like he was tossing a doll around a little bit, and she, because she she's so skinny compared to him, in my yeah. opinion. And I'm watching yeah. this, and it just it did look weird. It looked really unnatural. So that's why I thought about the whole doll thing. I know it wasn't a doll. I know that really was her throwing herself at him. I'm with you. I couldn't get into it. It came off very Kmart generic and cheap to me. (laughs) Well, and there's the scene, too, when he throws her off and she slams up against the wall and she does this, like, overacting, like, ugh. You know, we were talking Uh, about... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just kind of she slides down the wall. Now, we talked about Father Brennan and that cut. That cut stands out, you know, that whenever he just, like, slumps over is a thousand times better than her little, uh, she slides down the wall. I mean, it it, it just, it's so fake and unnatural looking that she's like, okay, okay, fine. I mean, they sell it a little bit later whenever she gets back up with him and she tries to attack him with the, you know, the knives from the kitchen. That's more realistic. Mm-hmm. She's got an item that can actually hurt him. But I never believed once her little small frame could do anything to Gregory Peck's character. I mean, I just didn't believe it. You know, she can bite and scratch all day, but I mean, just like he did in the movie, he's going to throw her off and he's going to get the hell out of there. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. The hubs actually said the same thing. He's actually said the same thing about. When we were watching the House of the Devil, this little girl taking on, you know, all these people (laughs) in this house that were supposed to be prepared for this. You know, when you have a a smaller actress like that, and she really was tiny, and so is, you know, Mrs. Baylock, it's not, it's hard to sell it. Well... I'll give Jocelyn Donahue a little bit of credit in her scenes. They did at least give her a knife. Now, whenever she, and she did try, she went straight for the eyes. 
uh, whenever yes. it came to, you know, the, the bearded she stranger. She made it way more realistic. Yeah, I mean, so it, she went with what would actually accomplish something. I mean, if you watch Baylock in this movie, she's biting at his face. She's like clawing at, you know, parts of him that are exposed. I mean, yeah, that's going to hurt him a little bit, but it's not going to put him down. And I mean, you can take a look at Gregory Peck and, and tell, I mean, the guy's stout enough that, you know, that's just like, whatever, get off of me. I got things I got to do. I got to get rid of this Antichrist, you know. Um, I blame the director. I do have to say that's that's a failing on on Don, or Donner's part, and the overacting is is on him too because they could have reined in Baylock. I mean, she just wits. I mean, you look at her face; she's just like so overacting. She's got the crazy eyes, and it's not the mesmerizing. Those are fine. <laughs> I mean, they, they they the mesmerizing eyes are you know what what they are, but these are the crazy eyes. It's like ah, you know, like the the she witch or something from uh, Army of Darkness. I don't know you that scene where oh you know yes. it pops on you know Bruce Campbell's back. And you know it's it's that, but you know that was played for laughs. This wasn't meant to be. And this it, that's, wasn't exactly. And of course, the the final scene we can't get by without the little scene where Damien's standing there. You know he's still alive. There's the two caskets that are you know the show that Mister and Missus Thorne are being buried together, and and little Damien looking at the camera straight on with a first a kind of like a mischievous looking look, and then he kind of smiles or whatever at the camera, and that's how the movie ends. You know, kind of setting it up that. He's going to become the ultimate evil. I thought it was a good I mean, way to end the movie, you know, for I what hate it that was. kid's smug little fucking face. <laughs> I want to slap that little shit. I swear. Which is good. That is not me talking shit about the movie. That is a compliment because that is how you wanted to feel about this kid. He is literally the son of the devil. You're not supposed to be rooting for him. <laughs> he reminded me of the uh, the guitar player from ACDC. I couldn't help it. Oh! With his, uh... <laughs> yes! With his oh little English God. boy axe, you know, outfit that he had. Like, I was like, there, there we go. Let's, let's start playing, uh, you know, uh, a, little, <laughs> a little bit of ACDC here in the background. You know, who made who, you oh know. Oh, my God. I'll <laughs> um, uh, just go into some behind the scenes here that just uh, that didn't get brought up for the rest of it. The David Seltzer said the movie's primarily in Europe because... And this is brilliant. I got to give the guy credit. I think uh, Adam Sandler must have took this guy's cue, and, and that's because that's what he does. But he always wrote the film in a place he had had on his bucket list because he knew that whenever oh, nice. they made it there, he got to go visit. So he's like, "I've never been to Europe. I'll we'll set it in Europe." And he got a free trip out of it. So good on him for it. <laughs> Uh, Adam Sandler, by the way, does that now. He basically gets Netflix to pay him like millions of dollars and him and all his buddies get to go to tropical locations. If you watch any of his recent movies, they're all set in some nice place because that's a free trip for him and his buddies to go hang out in. Actually, it's not free. It's him getting paid to go do it. So it's even better. Well, yeah. I don't know. He was in a movie recently I was watching where he plays, oh God, he's like a jewelry dealer. It was a serious film. It wasn't a comedy by any means. And um, I want to oh, say that, he was. I heard that was the one film where he's actually tried acting in the last twenty years. You know, like all the other movies, he kind of just phoned it in. And that one you're talking about, he actually gave a little. It's like they legit said that he, a little bit of the old Adam Sandler came out for that one. You know, to yeah, not 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 a horror film, but it's definitely a movie worth watching. Um, they had to hire American actors though because the movie was being produced by a uh, you know American company, Fox Entertainment. So that's the reason they, you know, ended up with, uh, you know, the American leads, uh, Lee Remick and uh, Gregory Peck. Um, 
And again, you know, Seltzer, uh, actually he worked on the script for three months just doing research before he even, or actually before he even <laughs> set, you know, any kind of, you know, you know, uh, words on the page, he researched three months because he wasn't religious, but he got re- like deeply into it whenever he was like, you know, researching. He just thought that a lot of the stuff was, you know, so interesting and, uh, he didn't do too terrible. He had some legit things in there to keep in mind. Like I said, the hollowed ground. <laughs> Um, he needed the a actual, little La Llorena lore in there. Yeah, he he needed some of that, for sure. Um, he used the name of a British Parliament member, Jeremy Thorpe, as the basis for his lead character's name. That's where Thorpe became Thorn. So he just changed that a few letters, and you know that's where he yeah. came from. The uh, he likes to note that the film was uh, actually better than the, his script by a long shot, and he said he puts that solely on the backs of the actors and actresses because he said that you know if you read his script it was fine, but he said they punched it up and made it believable enough to where they sold it, whereas it it wasn't that good as as written. And again, he was the one that added in the scene about the agency. I I, I can't imagine that scene though otherwise. I mean, you literally have mrs baylock walking in i'm gonna be the new nanny and they're just like okay and they shrug and they walk off and then she goes and plays with damien like legit that would have been so stupid if that's how that would have i'm gonna about. follow up on your references she's like okay i remember the second time too when when the uh, not the nanny but there was another caretaker of the home that he was like where's she at and she's like oh she left an address with her you know with her 40 or she left a forwarding address for her final oh yeah check. that's I have yeah no that's idea. one that's when the other one I left, yeah, supposedly. Yeah, and yeah. then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to follow up on this one. And she was like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. She knows you're full of shit. <laughs> it's like, go go keep uh, researching the Antichrist, and I'll keep uh, raising, you know, little Lucifer here, you know. <laughs> um, they originally pitched the movie to Warner Brothers, but uh, they were in the middle of uh, making The Exorcist 2, and they were like, eh, we don't really care if we've got none of these things going on. So they lowballed them so much that Donner and uh, Bernard had to shop it elsewhere, and that's why Fox took it up. Okay. Um, Fox actually wanted them to really, really go balls out with this thing. They wanted them to put it. There was a bunch of scenes apparently with gargoyles attacking and covens, uh, you know, being all throughout the film. And, you know, Donner was like, no, no, I want this. My, his mantra was focus on realism. So he yes, back- I saw that. I read that. He was like, if it do- if it cannot happen in real life, I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to be a thing. Yeah, and and he, he even that's why they got the dogs or whatever. He's like, what's a creature that's got a little bit of menace to it that's believable? You know, we'll, we'll add some dogs into the film. You know, it's like he wanted it all to be grounded enough to where somebody could watch it and be like, that could happen. You know, or at least exactly. some. You know, um, and I, I can't blame him for that because you imagine this movie with a bunch of you know horrible looking gargoyles because it would have been for the time. I mean, just attacking. Exactly. Like, you know, it it, it would have been a complete disaster. It would have been metal as fuck, though. <laughs> it would have been something that uh, Ronnie James Dio would have probably been uh, putting on one of his covers for his uh, his, his songs. Um, they uh, a little bit of trivia: Harvey Harvey Stevens was actually a blonde kid, but uh, uh, they, oh shit, Do- oh yeah. Donner was like, slap some, he literally says this in the behind the scenes like video. He's like, uh, I don't know, slap some uh, shoe polish on him, you know. <laughs> so, so they just yeah, that's got what some, they did back in the day. Yeah, so they put some shoe polish in his hair because it was easy to remove apparently, and they just because he wanted him to have dark hair, so it was like a dark image. Um, we already went over how Gregory Peck was the linchpin for the film. I, I, I mean, you can tell me how you feel, but he was legit the best thing in the movie outside David Warner, in my opinion. I mean, like that, you know, he 
his acting because he's the he's the one that it follows. It's not Damien's yeah. film. It's it's his film. If if he had not been such a good you know actor, I don't think he could have sold half this movie. The way that I describe Gregory Peck in this movie is that he is the film. That's the best way to describe it because literally it is about him. It's following him. It's going through his turmoil and how he's viewing his wife's turmoil and how he's dealing with his kid in general. So, he, yeah, he literally carried this film on his back. And like we mentioned earlier, they the only reason that the rest of them, you know, agreed to come on bar, board was because they heard it's like, oh, Atticus Finch is doing this, you know, sign me up. You know, it has to be pretty yeah. damn good. We, uh, let's see. Donner uh, also agreed that it was the high caliber of the actors and actresses that sold the, the horror in the film. Uh, they had a comment on this, too, that I thought was interesting, especially considering what we've talked about, about how the editor was talking about how you had the editing is a real tricky thing for horror films. And it was something that I, I didn't really think about until you mentioned it, but it's true. He says it's a real fine balance. And he said the editor makes more of the movie than what you would think, because if they linger on shots for too long, they lose their punch. But if they cut too quick, it it goes into comedy territory. So you got to be like, you got to leave it on there just enough to kind of, you know, like for people to get the point, you know, and, and kind of, you know, edge the terror, you know, like tease the terror out of it. But you can't like, you know, if you, if you do a quick cut, then it's kind of goofy. And if you do uh which, you know, goes back to the father Brennan scene a little bit, but if you, you know, sit there and you just kind of, you know, going back to the house of the devil and you sit there and you kind of linger on stuff for too long, it takes all the tension out of it. So I thought that was a pretty cool little, you know, tit, you know, thing that they brought up during the behind the scenes on this. Uh, let's see, do, 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 do. we already discussed all that. Do, do, do. All that. They originally, this is something. They originally filmed the the uh, the the ending. The film had originally was that uh, they were they showed three coffins, hinting that Damien also died in that confrontation at the end of the film. But oh. uh, the studio president actually watched it, and he's like, uh, he was the one that came up with the suggestion. He's like, hey, how about you add that, you know, have the kid live? And Donner was like, you know what, that's not a bad idea. Let's do that. So originally this Which, movie. Yeah, I think it adds to the creep factor. Yeah, and that, that whole scene where uh, he has him, like, smile at the camera. It's kind of funny whenever you hear them talk about it because, I mean, you hear two or three different stories about how he got him to do it. Uh, Donner says it's basically because he was sitting there telling the kid not to laugh, you know, and of course the kid's <laughs> going to do, you know, if you tell them not to laugh, they're going to laugh. Oh, and, absolutely. And, but then like, I think David Seltzer or, or, or one of the others said that they were there and they said, actually what happened was that, uh, he not, not only was he telling him not to laugh, but he was also saying, uh, looks like you passed gas there, Harvey, or, you know, like throwing all this stuff out there, you know, like, you know, that a kid would find funny just to get him to smile at the camera. So yeah, uh, that that was I thought kind of funny. Um, <laughs> the last little thing I remember about this is that David Seltzer, the writer, was actually kicked off of the movie before he got to see the final part of it because he played a joke that no that everybody freaked out so much about that they kicked him out of the film. And and he actually one of the actors I can't remember which one it was. Uh, thought that he had he'd left the film and he was mad at him and it was because they just wouldn't let him back on the set and what it was is that he had went up and and you can imagine how this played out that scene where they had the coffins there he walked up whenever they had them sitting there and he knocked on one of them and he and he leaned over and he really loudly he was like 
uh, it's okay, Mr. Peck, you, you know, you can have your tea in just a minute, just, a, just a couple more minutes and we'll be done. And like they, they literally freaked out because they thought Gregory Peck was inside the coffin trapped. Oh they stopped production of the film. Like everybody was freaking out that was around there. Of course, it, it wasn't the case. And they got so mad at him that they just kicked him off the set for, you know, for him doing that. So I oh that my was... God. <laughs> so, but, um, as far as the budget for the film, it was made for a paltry $2.5 million, which is not a lot of money at all. I mean, you know, and actually $25,000 of that was paid directly to Jerry Goldsmith for the score. And nice. that, and they they got that because, they actually got that added because when they went back to Fox, it's like, hey, uh, Jerry Goldsmith said he would do something for this. but And, you know, he was well known. So they was like, he said he would do this, but he had to have 25000 They were like, well, if he'll do it, then yeah, sure. So they, they actually got that added on. Uh, just for that that thing, and it, it won, and it won an Academy Award, so it was uh, the great call overall. And of course, Ave Satani is you know makes this film as far as like memorable. It went on to make sixty point nine million dollars, or at least it has thus far. So I mean, that's a pretty good turnaround for a movie that yeah. you know that uh, Warner Brothers was like, oh well, it looks like a rip off of one of the movies we did, so I don't think we're going to do it. <laughs> uh, now there is a curse with this movie. Or a blessing, depending upon how you look at it. And actually, uh, all of the actors, or, well, all the people that were involved in production, minus one, uh, which we'll get into in a second, would, would view, viewed this movie as actually a blessing instead of a curse. Uh, there was the, they said there was a story about how both um, Gregory Peck and one of the producer, another producer, not Bernhard, but or Bernard, but another one, were on their way to the set, and they were flying in a plane, and both of their planes got struck by lightning on the way to Europe, which is weird. Oh my God! Yeah, I a, read that. There was uh, another person uh, on set. I think it's Bernard this time was actually almost struck by lightning during the filming of the film. So that played into it. They were getting ready to set, uh, like get some aerial shots. So they loaded everybody on this plane to get these aerial shots with a, shots with an airline. Something happened. They got all the people off of the plane and and then put regular passengers on it instead. That plane crashed uh, actually before it even had time to really take off. And according to what they they said on you know the cursed films on on uh, Shutter, that the pilot. And this is terrible. The pilot that of the, the of that plane that crashed, uh, everybody apparently died in that plane crash. So all the crew that was on that just narrowly escaped with their lives because they were put on a plane, a different one, right before all this happened. But the oh pilot, God. when he crashed, he also crashed into the the car that had his child and his wife inside <gasps> of it, and he killed them as well. Oh my God! Yeah. Um, Holy and- shit. Ter- I mean, just awful, awful. And they said it was something about there was birds on the runway, and that's what led to it. I mean, it, it's, I don't know, it's one of those things. It's, you know, it happened. Um, there was, uh, they said that there was uh, Gregory Peck and that same producer that were both flying whenever the planes were struck uh, were actually set to go and have uh, uh, eat together at like this uh, little cafe around the corner, and they and right before that they were getting set to go over there to eat, the place got bombed by the uh, uh, Irish Republican Army and was completely destroyed. So they narrowly escaped getting blown up. Uh, yeah. The, the scene with the baboons. There they had a, a, a zookeeper on set whenever all that stuff was being filmed. When they went to leave for the day. 
he said that he was he was walking out with them. He got a call that there was something wrong with the lines then. So he, he told them he would check in with them later. He went back on his own to check this out. Apparently, upon investigating the lines then, he somehow fell inside of, the, uh, inside of it, and it was mauled to death by the lines. And, <gasps> oh, shit. <laughs> and Jesus. Yeah, uh, and the the most damning one, and this is the, this is the creepiest one. The guy oh who's it gets creepier. Yeah, it gets cre- creepier. Well, I'll throw this in there before we get to the creepy one. Apparently, one of the guys who was a stuntman on this movie, not the one I don't think that got that got bit, but the, another stuntman, uh, he went on to another film called A Bridge Too Far. And during one of the scenes in that film, this is right after he did this movie. He was in A Bridge Too Far. He was supposed to have uh, done some kind of scene where he fell off a building or something like that. Well, apparently he really fell and and died from it. So that happened right after the film. But this is the creepiest part. One of the guys who was the production worker who was uh, over the uh, special effects on that scene in particular where David Warner's character gets his head cut off with the glass was also working on a bridge too far. Him and his wife were traveling, uh, and and I want it's it's in some kind of Scandinavian country, I believe. But they were they were traveling together while they were filming, you know, helping on a bridge too far as well. And which sounds to me like that movie was cursed more than maybe the Omen. But we'll get into that in a second. And anyways, he was traveling back with his wife. They had a car accident uh, right outside, or well, before I get to that, they had a car accident. The wife was decapitated by the, the windshield, went by the windshield the of the fuck? car, and he when when he when he was uh, when he he got out of it barely, uh, and whenever he got when he looked up, he saw that he was at a mile uh, a mile marker that said Omen O M M E N sixty six point six kilometers. Oh, <laughs> fuck no. Now, there's some debate on that that last part. They said that there was a sign there, but it technically said 66.0, so he could have been, you know, suffering the effects of the accident and thought he saw another six, but regardless, Omen 66. I mean, that's still close enough for me to call it and say that that's, you know, probably the creepiest, you know, thing that could have came out of any of these movies. I'm so glad I didn't research any of the... Of the curses, because you legit just scared the shit out of me, and I have chills right now, and it's the best fucking feeling. <laughs> it's when you get to that one about uh, about that guy. That's that's one that really sends them. It's like you hear the other things, and I gotta agree with the rest of the people on the set. If you look at it from uh, you know like higher up point of view, they all escaped. They were all tangentially next to people that were, you know, that felt the curse. Like, nobody on set, uh, you know, really felt it. You know, it was a zookeeper that was helping them. It was a place they were going to, you know, uh, feed or eat or film at. It was the, you know, they they actually narrowly escaped all dying on a a bunch of uh, uh, crew members died on a plane because they had to swap them off, you know, at last minute. So that's actually, I mean, extremely good luck if you want to look at it from the other point of view. They all... Uh, came close, but they never actually had anything yeah. happen to them. It's, it's that still last scary as fuck. It's that last guy though. I d- you can't yeah. say. I mean, that, that's that's too close. <laughs> now, having said oh, that, shit. it's time to give our ratings, and I've got to be honest with you. I was torn on this. It's the cemetery scene that does it, and 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 a little bit of the first scene we talked about with the nanny that 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 you know it's all for you, Damien. If it yeah. wasn't if it wasn't for those two scenes, this would have been an automatic one Casper. I never found anything about this 
and, uh, that was, you know, remotely scary to me. Those scenes had enough tension and enough dark vibes going on that it bumped it up narrowly to a two, which in our rating system is Patrick Swayze or Sam Wheat from Ghost. So for me, it's it narrowly squeaks in at a two. I, I just didn't find the film that scary. Now, I, I do love aspects of the film. There's things that I hate, but I do like those classic hammer horror scenes, and I love everything that's in the movie between David Warner and Gregory Peck. So I, I love the I like the film. I just, uh, scary, not, not so much. Yeah, um, I'm going to come right out with the score and then explain why. It is also a two for me, a Patrick Swayze. Um, and it would be a one, honestly, because this was three years after The Exorcist. So when you have a horror film of that caliber and then you follow up with this, which is, I mean, The Omen was always supposed to be a scary movie to somebody like me. Again, it was one of those <laughs> movies that as a Catholic child, I was not allowed to watch. You know, um, I was I was raised to be terrified of this movie. Uh, so it really doesn't deliver because of all the buildup that I had. But what brings it up to a two, because obviously I didn't score it a one, is they did pretty decent with the lore. Are we there? Are we connected again? We're, we're back. I don't know what happened. I literally <laughs> just saw my phone go like, you're done. <laughs> like, thought... no, I am most certainly am not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am talking. Damien. Do not be rude. I think it's Damien. I think he's uh he's he's Damien. He's like, mm, I'm better than a two. Is what he's thinking. Um, no, what brought it up from a one to a two was the fact that they did pretty decent with the lore for the times because back then nobody really had, you know, they couldn't Google Lori shit like we could. You know, they didn't have supernatural to kind of plant the <laughs> seeds of lore in your head. Nothing like that. I mean, there was books, but were people really reading them, or did they think it was part of the occult? So I think they did pretty good with that. The mm -hmm. scenes that you mentioned, the nanny, the, um, the well, the decapitation, I cannot word right now, the decapitation scene, and as well as the cemetery scene, I think they did pretty good with those. I would have liked to seen some more creepier vibes from the kid. Like there was a scene where the dog was in the room, but the dad goes to check on him, and the dog wasn't creepy enough to do it on its own, but the kid was sleeping. If they had just had that kid turn his face and have this creepy look on his face or maybe some makeup effects, man, it could have just added so much more to this film. So, well, yeah, I'm going to... That was the funny thing about Little Evil. They actually went the opposite way as opposed to, I mean, you know, they, they had Damien being, you know, the... Uh, the innocent uh, villain, as, as it were. But like in Little Evil, there's a scene where uh, Adam Scott uh, walks up to him and, and apparently Damien will, or Lucas in that film will only talk to him <laughs> using this creepy little hand puppet. And of course it has yeah. a demonic voice, so it's like, what do you want? You know, it's like that sort of stuff, even though it's played for comedy and that, would have probably, you know, would have been lit more like, scary factor to Damien if he had something going on. I mean, it's just when you hear him like, you know, cry out at the end of the movie, I didn't bring this up, but I mean, when you hear him cry out, it's like, no, daddy, no. Like, I felt oh, sorry yeah. for the kid. I actually felt bad yeah, for him. Yeah, that innocent vibe. Yeah. It was the human in him coming out. Yeah, it's just hard. I mean, because it's not a terrible, terrible movie, especially for its time, but it's following The Exorcist, and I don't remember what I scored The Exorcist, Exorcist if it was a three or a four. But it definitely was not a one or a two. 
No, I think you might have scored it a four because I think it might have. But I mean, yeah, it was it was in that range. But I'm right there with you. There's, I mean, there's only a couple of scenes and and they just edge into that territory. There, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's good for the lore. It's good for the scenes. I mean, you know, that's in it. But I mean, as far as being scary, mm, nope, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. There wasn't no scene for me like the the mysterious bearded stranger that you know suddenly pops up out of nowhere and you know <laughs> uh, lights lights Meg's cigarette you know like in House of the Devil. There wasn't anything that made me jump out of my skin like that. Yeah, nothing like that. And it was unfortunate. So. So there what kind we of plugs it. do you have uh, for the for the network? Um, well, before the, I start plugging, I want to know what are we what are we doing next? Please tell me it's needful things. <laughs> it can be needful things if that's what you want to do. I I thought about were rounding we following out, something? Well, I thought about rounding out the devil's child uh, part of this by just uh, doing um, the devil's advocate. Advocate. That's what it was. The devil's. Oh, advocate. okay. No, I'm down for the devil's advocate. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I figured we would we would uh, round it out by that because I mean, spoiler alert, that's kind of what it's about. So I figured we would follow the you know exploits of the Antichrist going you know into adulthood as it were, and and then kind of tie a bow on that, and we could move forward and maybe mix it up for a uh, an episode and kind of do some humorous films. I know you had uh, in particular were looking forward to rewatching Repossessed, and I want to, <laughs> and I definitely want to revisit. Stay tuned because I, that's one of my little guilty pleasures. I guess it or you know in the horror oh, comedy. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So yes, de- uh so uh The Devil's Advocate for sure. The next film um I'm going to in terms of plugs and getting us out of this show, I'm going to release uh The House of the Devil first as we recorded it, and then I will be releasing this one, The Omen. And then going from there, uh Blue Collar BS, I mean, we got the studio I would say 98% done. We're literally just waiting for, oh, I know the hubby wants to do video, so we're waiting for the switcher board for that. But other than that, we could start recording shows because we're literally just waiting for some paintings to put up on the wall. Uh, Hot Mess Express, I'm ready to get uh, the hoe train back in, in into gear. So uh, we'll be starting, yeah, <laughs> probably be starting that next week, which was literally the last week of March for anyone that's paying attention, if you are paying attention. Uh, and that's really about it. Again, no set schedule. And uh, thank you again to uh, Death Holler for keeping Blue Collar BS going. <laughs> While everybody's looking for podcasts on the network, we've literally been getting excellent traction. So for everyone listening, thank you. Seriously. Thank you very much. Yes. And so, with that. I mean. <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> I fucked that up. No, I'm done. <laughs> okay. And with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit. Oh, I think you should keep that last part in. I'm going to. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our third and final episode of The Omen. If you like this episode, please look forward to our next episode where we review The Devil's Advocate. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS with your host, the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.